Welcome to Learning Bible Truth. Thank God for another season. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. Here to take you on a tour of the Bible by reading entire books in the Bible. Not just one scripture, full chapters. And of course, I share my commentary while we read line upon line and precept upon precept of every word of scripture. Since you won't take the time to study and show yourself approved before God, I am bringing the scriptures to you. So get your Bibles, take out pen and paper, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's grow in faith while we learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. Not my will, Lord, but God's will be done by giving our lives to his son, Jesus the Christ. I hope this day finds you well. I had a very busy day today and I attended one church and invited to another service at three. So I decided in between and I just got home to record episode number seven. I thank God for all 3,500 of you who are following this series. Praise God. I thank God for you and to God be all the glory. I hope you are getting something out of this. So, um, let's, let's get this truth on the road. Let's get this truth on the road. So, remember we have moved into the book of Exodus. We are finding the Lord Jesus the Christ in the book of Exodus. So, for those of you who are just tuning in for the first time, our foundational scripture is found in John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. And I will read them right now. I'm reading from the New King James. I will be teaching from the NIV. I may share some scriptures or more scriptures from the New King James. But for the sake of time, you can pause the tape. And when you come back, you can listen to me read the foundational scriptures. John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. This is the Lord Jesus talking. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. These what? The scriptures which testify of me. Verse 40. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Jesus was talking to some unbelieving Pharisees who was angry at him because he had healed someone on the Sabbath day. And Jesus set them straight. You know, if you knew the scriptures, you would know who you were talking to. So with that said, we are embarking on episode seven. Yes, we are finding Jesus in the book of Exodus. Uh, episodes one through six, we found Jesus in the book of Genesis. And um, I think the latter part of six, we uh, moved into the book of Exodus. And we will continue on. And like I said, I am reading from the NIV. I may switch and start reading from um, the New King James because I found some errors in the NIV. Okay, so with that said, go to Exodus chapter 13 
and I will be reading verses 20 through 22. After leaving Sakat, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, by day, the Lord went ahead of them. I'm sorry, I was getting mixed up about something. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. What people? The children of Israel. Moses had delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians. Um, so I suppose to be perfectly accurate, the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night that led Israel throughout their entire wilderness experience is in reality a picture of the Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, it is called the Spirit of Christ. So that was Jesus leading the children of Israel by day and by night, out of the hands of the Egyptians into the promised land that God had promised them. Now you can read in Romans chapter 8 verse 9 and 1 Peter 1 11, our God is one God. He is manifested in three persons but one substance. And remember, those of you who follow me on a regular basis, I use water as the three persons and the one substance, okay? or in essence, the Holy Trinity. So in a way to speak of the spirit, it is to speak also of Christ. Now, like the burning bush, the pillar or cloud was a theophany, a physical manifestation of the living God and the preexistent Messiah. Okay. Now, just as Christ was one person in two substances, both God and man, the pillar of cloud and fire is believed to be one substance also, but in two manifestations. See, this is where we lose people because some people think Jesus is just a man, that there's only one God. He can't have a son. Well, I'm sorry. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says God has a son and Jesus is it. That's it. So um, by day, the pillar led the procession and was a covering from the sun and harsh elements of the desert wilderness. Now at night, the pillar shone brightly to illuminate the way and the camp. Now likewise, the spirit of God leads the Christians in his daily walk by the spirit of God. Now Paul says in Romans chapter eight, verse 14, those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. And that's those who are led by the spirit of God. They are sons of God. Now, let me give you five reasons why the pillar was given to Israel. First, that God's great power might continue to be revealed to the people and to the Egyptians. Second, the pillar was to lead Pharaoh and his minions to their depths in the Red Sea. Now, third, the pillar led the Israelites, God's church, to Sinai, where the law might be given to them. And fourth, it was to organize the nation of Israel into one church, one church that would enter the land in strength because there is strength in numbers, one church. And finally, the cloud led the people that 
that might be humbled, tried, and proved, which is in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. Above all, the pillar was a clear and unmistakable sign of God's presence with his people. Our transcendent God is also the eminent God. He is both separate from his creation and with us through his spirit and his incarnate son. That is what we need to focus on and his incarnate son. Now, the pillar was a true guide by day and an illumination at night. Now, the word of God in both of its manifestations in Christ, John 1 uh, verse 1 says, and in the Bible, God's written words in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, for instance, both led and illuminate the darkness. Like both words, God spoke from the cloud. Our God is a God who speaks unlike mere idols. And let me put it this way, like Dr. R.C. Sprawls. He is one of my favorite teachers of this word. One of my favorite of all time. Dr. Sprawls says it like this the, about idol gods. He says, who neither speak nor have power. That's right. They don't speak nor do they have power. Unlike our God, the true and living God who created the heavens and the earth. Now, Exodus 14, 20, um, we're going to read this, the pillar of, of cloud and fire. Now, it brought darkness to the one side, which um, was the Egyptians, and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. So it is today as God has called out a people into his, his wonderful light, but whom the world cannot receive. The world itself cannot receive this light because the world doesn't believe in God and the world itself hates God. Y'all need to understand that. Now, John uh, 14, 17 says this, the world cannot accept Christ's spirit because it neither sees him nor knows him. That's why we have to question some of these, you know, agents that Satan put in the church. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I don't want to go there. I don't have too much time to waste, so let me keep moving forward. Now, throughout the entire journey of the 40-plus years in the wilderness, the pillar of cloud and fire did not leave the Israelites for one second. Just as the Lord says in Deut Deuteronomy uh, chapter 31, verse 6, as quoted in Hebrews 13, 5, the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. When the tabernacle was built and placed in the center of the congregation, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That's in Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. Now, truly the pillar of cloud and fire was a foreshadowing of the one to come. Emmanuel, that's Jesus name. Emmanuel means God with us. Now that's also recorded in Matthew chapter one, verse 23. Now, Let's go to Exodus chapter 15, Exodus chapter 15. And I think I'm going to uh, read this from the New King James. So we can look together, go, go to Exodus chapter 15 and I just switched Bibles. So um, I'm using an electric, uh, electronic Bible, but sometimes it's a little difficult. <laughs> 
to pull up. And I'm going to read verses 22 through 26. Okay, are you with me? Okay, I am reading. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Verse 23. Now when they came to Myra, they could not drink the waters of Myra, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Myra. Verse 24. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Verse 25. So he, talking about Moses, he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into, into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statue and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them or either proved them. Verse 26. And said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Now, let me um, explain this here. First, let me get this out the way. It is not God who puts diseases on you. I know that's the way it's written, but in the actual Hebrew scriptures, it says that God allows these things to happen. Okay, so it's not God who's going to put a disease on you and then heal you. No, God allows Satan to do that. You have to remember, we have a devil running around this planet here. Okay, that's his job. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what, what the devil's responsibility is um, as we go and move forward. Now, the Israelites had been led out of Egypt under the mighty hand of Yahweh. Now, he had appeared in the theophany of the pillar of cloud and fire. Now, Yahweh then parted the waters of the Red Sea so the Israelites could walk through on dry land. Now, while their e Egyptian pursuers were drowned when the water closed in on them. Water were, uh, or had basically two meanings in scripture, okay? Healing or saved or salvation and the water of judgment. Now, judgment may be seen in drowning Egyptians and in those who drowned in the flood of Noah's day. Now, we also may remember how water was used as a medium of judgment in the book of Jonah. Now, while the Egyptians were judged, their counterparts, the Israelites and Noah, were saved. Now, Jonah was both judged and saved in water, if y'all can remember, if you know the book of Jonah. Now, we are commanded to be baptized by water. That's in Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and Matthew 28, 19, for instance. While we are not saved by water baptism itself, it points to the one who does save us by his grace, the Lord Jesus the Christ. He is the, let's say, reservoir of living water. And I told you it is symbolic. Being baptized is symbolic to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, in John chapter 4, we are given the account of the meeting of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus spoke to her about living water. He said this, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty. Again, talking about the well water. But whoever drinks the water I give him 
will never thirst. And I'm reading from the NIV. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, that was John chapter 4, verses um, 13 and 14. My Lord, my Lord. Jesus, of course, was referring to himself, like I said. He is the living water. Now, only Jesus has the power of resurrection, salvation, and judgment. Only Jesus has that power. For instance, he says in John 9, chapter, um, chapter 9, verse 39, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Those who think they know everything will become blind. Now, only Jesus has the water of salvation for us or judgment for all those who will not come to him in faith. Now, for three days, the Israelites marched in the desert with nothing to drink. Now, I want you to notice that even though God had been leading them, displaying his miraculous power, they complained to Moses anyway. Now, how typical is it for us in this age? We, you know, we're ready to blame everyone and anyone. We play, you know, the, the victim all the time. We blame everyone and anyone for our problems. Mm -hmm. Now, when in actuality, it is God you are blaming. That's who you are blaming because God told Moses, they're not, they're not complaining against you. They are complaining against me. Now, in this setting of blame on Moses's continued throughout the wilderness journey. Now, when they finally arrived at an oasis in the desert wilderness, the water was bitter. How were they to water themselves and their flocks? So God opened Moses' eyes and showed him a tree. Now Moses lifted up the tree and cast it into the water, and the water became sweet and it was drinkable. Now the bitter water represents another point of suffering for the Israelites. Like the young Christian who had, who had been told that if you come to Jesus, all your earthly problems will be solved. <laughs> yes, indeed. Sometimes we start out only to find that following Christ often means suffering and trouble. Now, the suffering is persecution. We suffer persecution for living holy like Christ. Because that's what it means to be a Christian. It means to be Christ-like. Now, that was my experience and probably yours too. Now, just as the Israelites found suffering and testing in the wilderness, so we too find suffering in our wilderness. Now, the world in which we live, Lord have mercy, like wandering pilgrims, as we look for forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God, Hebrews 11.10. Remember the words of Paul in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Now we may suffer, but God always sees us through it. That's what people keep forgetting. Because remember, many are the affliction of the righteous, but the Lord delivers us out of them all. That's what we need to focus on. God never said we won't be afflicted, but he promised that he will deliver us out of them all. That's why we should never panic. If we know an affliction is coming, we need to focus on God is going to deliver us out of this. This too shall pass. Remember that? This too shall pass. Now, it points to both Jesus' humanity and to the cross on which he died. 
transforming the bitterness of judgment into the sweetness of salvation for his people. Now we'll see more of a uh, of, uh, wood as a type of Christ's humanity when we talk more about the tabernacle when we finally get to chapter 34. Now let's talk about Jesus being the bread of heaven. Mm -hmm. Go to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16 verses 2 through 4. So I'm going to read this from the New King James, not the NIV. Exodus chapter 16. Oh, goodness. My electronic Bible is acting up, uh, people. Mm-mm. Exodus chapter 16. See, I don't like any delays. Not at all. And I am reading verses 2 through 4. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. That's all they did was complain. Verse 3. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. They were wishing that they had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of um, Egypt because they feel like they are being led to their deaths, even though they are being led to the promised land. See, that's another thing when you fall after you stop believing God. Now, they seen all the miracles that Moses had had performed by splitting the Red Sea so that they can walk on dry land in the middle of the sea to get to the other side and then seeing the sea close in on the Egyptians. They forgot all about that. Forgot all about that. Uh, verse three again, and the children of Israel said to them, oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the, in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill Killed this whole assembly with hunger. Unbelievable. I don't know how God dealt with it. I don't know how God deals with us today. Complaining Christians. You know how God delivered you out of that last affliction. But it, now you complaining because another one came two, three years later. Unbelievable. Verse four. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. My Lord, my Lord. Now, let me read verse four. One, two. Um, in the NIV, the people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Now, the New King James says, then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Now, Jesus said in, in John six thirty five, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. You have to be spiritual uh, saints and believers to understand where, how we are finding Jesus in the old Testament. Now, now again, in Luke chapter 22, verse 19, we read these words as Jesus instituted the Lord's supper 
And Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now that bread typifies our Lord is so clear in scripture that it hardly needs any explanation. Yet the sending of the manna in the wilderness is so rich in meaning two pages can only be a feeble introduction to its content. Oh yes, can only be a feeble introduction. Now, once again, the Israelites started grumbling. Mm -hmm. Now this time Aaron was included as a target of their anger. Unbelievable. So the Lord answered and sent them bread from heaven. Now it descended upon the wilderness of sin from heaven, just as our Lord would come from heaven years later. Paul says, speaking of Jesus as the second Adam in first Corinthians 15, 47, the first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man was from heaven. That second man is Jesus. That's the second Adam. Now the food from heaven was for God's pe people alone. Now, it began when they were beyond the borders of Egypt and stopped when they entered the land of Canaan. Because Canaan is, is the promised land here. So that can dispel the myth that the land of Canaan was cursed because Can Canaan was cursed. Lies, lies, lies. Rightly divide the scripture. The, law, uh, the land of Canaan was blessed. Okay. So it is with Jesus. Our Lord came for his people. As the angel said to Joseph in Matthew 1, chapter 21, Mary will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And I've told you before, the name Jesus actually means Jehovah has become our salvation, our salvation. Okay. Now in the same way, both breads of heaven came to a sinful and needy people. As Ephesians 2 and 3 puts it, all of us also lived among the reprobates at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, emphasis on were, by nature, objects of wrath. Now we too would starve spiritually if it weren't for Jesus. That's what we need to focus on. If it wasn't for Jesus, we'll be starving spiritually. Now the manna was white and sweet. So too our Lord is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Hebrews 7.26 Now in the transfiguration, Jesus' clothes became dazzling white. Whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Mark 9.3 Now we've just seen how the bitter waters of Mara were sweetened by the tree, which spoke of Jesus. The Song of Solomon, where Jesus is pictured throughout, speaks of him this way. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my lover. This, my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. That's Song 516. Now, Numbers 11, 9 tells us when the dew settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. The manna came only at night. Yes, it did. When the camp was asleep. Now the heavenly food was by God's grace alone and not by mankind's work. We need to, oh Lord, you need to receive this. Open up your mind so that God, the Holy Spirit can give you that understanding. The heavenly food 
was by God's grace alone. God kept feeding them. God kept taking care of them. God made sure they were warm when they needed to be warm. God made sure they didn't suffer in heat and they still complained. Now, now, manna fell upon the dew Jehovah sent, okay, and not the dust of the earth, as quoted in 1 Corinthians 15, 47. Now, fallen humanity is spoken of as dust in scripture. Now, our Lord came to earth as a little child by the Holy Spirit. He was uh, created by the Holy Spirit. He didn't come by uh, human being blood here. He was created by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Her, her, her womb was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit who impregnated her. Okay? Jesus would have been defiled if he had been born of a man. And he was not defiled. He would not have been the Holy One. He would not have been the Anointed One. So the manna fell on the dew and not on the dust. Now, finally, the coming of, of the manna is linked in scripture to the first mention of the glory of the Lord. In Exodus 16, we read in this 16 verse 10, while Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. Now, in the same way we read in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And that was Jesus who became flesh here because Jesus is the walking word of God. And he became flesh and made his dwelling among man. Okay. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. My Lord, my Lord. Now, let's talk about Jesus being our rock, our stricken rock. Exodus chapter 17. Mm -hmm. Exodus chapter 17, verses 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Okay, I think I'm going to read this from the New King James. Okay. Go to Exodus chapter 17, and I am going to read verses 1 through 6. See, switching Bibles, I got two. Um, I'm trying to click on chapter 17, but chapter 18 popping up. Just bear with me. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim, or Rephidim. Mm -hmm. You know, some of these words are challenging, baby. From Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Verse 2, therefore the people contended with Moses. They kept arguing with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? Verse 3, and the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, why is it? You have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. 
Verse four. So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And that's just like these ministers who teach in the truth. What they're going to do with these people who listening to um, conspiracy theorists and not understanding what the true teachers such as myself is teaching when it comes to the word of the Lord. Unbelievable. Verse five. And the Lord said to Moses, go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your ride with, um, with which you struck the river and go. Verse six, behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Herob, and you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. I want you to focus and linger on verse six, because that's where we find Jesus in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Exodus 17, verse six. Now, once again, the Israelites quarreled and fussed with Moses. Give us water to drink. That's what they were saying. Give us the water to drink. And God had commanded exactly where they were to camp. Now, surely the Lord knew there was no water there. Surely he knew this. Now, how this speaks to our lack of trust in God's leading us or his ability to lead us. How does it speak to that? Unbelievable. One of our greatest failures in the Christian life is to deny God's absolute sovereignty, God's ability to do anything far above what man can do. Man can send somebody to the moon here, but God, if God send you to the moon, your spaceship is not going to crash. See, man still getting it wrong sometimes, but let's say this. God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. That's what he does. Now we pay lip service to this fact of scripture in big things, but not in the details of our lives. Too often we moan and complain of our circumstances but we keep forgetting that God delivers us out of all of our afflictions. We keep forgetting that just like the children of Israel did. Now they were in Egyptian bondage for 430 years and finally were delivered being led to the promised land. Now going to the promised land doesn't mean you're going to have no uh, bumps and bruises, but forget the bumps and bruises. You have to think about once you get there, what's going to happen. Think about that. Now, the prophet Isaiah says in, in Isaiah 53, verse 4, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. Now, we don't have to question that the rock is a portrait of Jesus here, that rock that, rock that God told Moses to, to uh, hit with his staff. We don't have to question that. We know that was Jesus. Now, because there is an instance in the Bible where we are told specifically that it is. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, the Israelites drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's why you have to compare the New Testament to the Old Testament scriptures. 
Now the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, or either my salvation. Now the psalmist David cries out, come let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. That's Psalms 95 verse 1. And Jesus responds to Peter's understanding of Jesus's godhood with these words. Matthew 16, 18. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, Moses struck the rock. And, and before I, I, I move forward, the rock Jesus was talking about was him. Do you know we have a whole religion built around Peter because they misunderstood what Jesus said? Jesus is the rock of our salvation, not Peter. Peter was a sinner. Peter doubted Christ, denied him three times. Christ had predicted that. And you know, the Lord Jesus can predict anything. So the church ain't built on Peter. Matthew 6, 18, Jesus said on this rock, he was talking about himself. He was talking about the statement that Peter made that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. On that rock, that statement, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Now, Moses struck the rock and water gushed forth for the people. Now, we've discussed water earlier as, as being typical of the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ. Acts 2.18 says that the spirit is to be poured out uh, or either poured upon. Now, it's going to be poured upon God's servants, his church. Just as the Israelites, God's covenant people, all drank from the rock. So all of God's church, his covenant people drink from it too. Now there are no haves and, and have nots in the, in the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. All partake equally of his spirit. Romans eight and nine, those who are willing to receive his spirit, all partake of it. Now later the prophet Daniel would speak of another rock. Okay. Daniel chapter two, verses 44 and verse 45, verse 44 says this, in the time of those kings, this is the NIV, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. We're talking about the kingdom of Jesus that will never be destroyed. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. Verse 44, this is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. Now, Daniel spoke of several kings who would rule on the earth. He described them as part of a statue made of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. Now, the rock not made by human hands would crush those earthly kingdoms and rule as king forever. Uh-huh. Of course, Daniel was speaking of the Lord Jesus, the Christ of whom Isaiah said in, in chapter nine, verse seven of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Woo, my Lord. Now we're getting ready to, to, to go in some unfamiliar waters. Oh, where people struggling in the church to understand this. So go to chapter 20, Exodus. We're, remember, we're in Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. And I will be reading um, verse 1. Let me see. 
how many verses I'm going to read? Verse 1, 2, and 3. Okay. And I'm going to read from the NIV. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Verse 3, because I just read verse 2. Verse 1 and 2 are so, well, 1 is so short, I went straight into verse 2. Verse 1, and, the, and God spoke all these words. Verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. You understand that? Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus expanded the meaning of the Ten Commandments given in Exodus to include even our thought life as uh, a part of the sermon. He said in Matthew 5, chapter 17, verse 18, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now, a lot of people misunderstand this. Um, these are people who don't quite, you know, they're not even following Christ. They're following the law. Um, they saying that even Jesus kept the law. Yeah, he kept it for us because we couldn't keep it. But what Jesus is saying here. I'm not trying to abolish the law. I'm coming to fulfill it. The law is fulfilled with love. And he said until everything is accomplished. Now, remember, the, the qualifier is until everything is accomplished. Everything was accomplished on the cross. That's why at the end, when Christ gave up the spirit on the cross, he said it is finished. He was talking about the law. The law that's what we don't follow the law. We don't keep the law. Now, the law in the wilderness was given for three main reasons. First, Jehovah Jesus established his authority over all that he created and those he brought forth from Egypt. Now, by the law, Jehovah revealed to the people who he was, a holy and altogether righteous God, set apart from the world and the world's system. Now, by his law, he demands this same holiness and righteousness from all men. Okay. Now, second, Jehovah gave the law to show men and women who they are altogether unholy and unrighteous and to drive them by this knowledge to seek his forgiveness for their sins. Yeah. Now, finally, the law was given out of God's perfect love for his people to show them the way in this world that was not only pleasing to him, but a way that would be free of the entanglements and trouble experienced by lawbreakers. You know the hell people go through that by breaking the law. <laughs> now the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament demonstrates this. Proverbs is said to be um, the Ten Commandments in shoe leather. I know y'all didn't know that, but that's what Proverbs is said to be that, the Ten Commandments in shoe leather. Now, in the book, a father seeks to convince his son that to walk in God's ways is to save himself a whole lot of torment and a whole lot of trouble that accrues to those who follow the woman fully. Okay, that's Proverbs 9.13. Now, Proverbs 3.6 says, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Now, to acknowledge God is principally to know him, to love him, and to keep his commandments. 
straight paths or righteous paths, paths that please God. We ought to walk pleasing in God's ways. So when you're standing out there cussing somebody out or you stop speaking to a family member because they said something you didn't like and then you profess to be a Christian and you post in scriptures all day long, then the scriptures stop after the person says something you didn't like. That's not walking in, in God's ways. That's not pleasing God. Just as Jehovah gave the Ten Commandments out of love for his people and his creation, so love from the people to Jehovah is to keep his commandments. And what commandment did Jesus give us? He said for us to love our neighbor as ourselves. If we love God or if we love our brother and sister in Christ, that shows the world that we are, that we belong to Jesus. Now, if you love me, Jesus says in John um, chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command. We read also in John chapter, uh, well, 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, this is love for God to obey his commands. Now, can you see what Jesus is claiming by his statement? He is the God who gave the law. Just as Jesus is the lawgiver, he is also the only one in the history of humanity who has ever kept the entire law. He kept it in thought, word, and deed. He is the absolutely holy and altogether righteous God-man. In Hebrews chapter 7, the writer compares Jesus with the priesthood of the Old Testament. Um, he says this, Hebrews, let me read Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23 uh, to 27. Therefore, Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him. He's only able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Hebrews 7, 23, 27. We got to understand that, saints. Now, we are saved through Christ, uh, his perfect life, his righteousness, and his perfect atoning death and resurrection. We cannot keep the law of God, so Jesus did it for us. I need to say that again. We cannot keep the law of God. It's 613 of them, and you can't even name 11 of them. So Jesus did it for us. We can only through his grace, my Lord, through God's grace, come to him in saving faith. Then given wisdom, we can lovingly and gratefully keep his commandments. That's the only way we can do it, saints. Now, let's talk about, um, I was going to stop here, but I want to move forward since I'm on the roll about Jesus being our tabernacle. Go to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25, I'm going to read verses 8 and 9, and I'm going to read it from the New King James, not the New King James. I think I'm going to stick with the NIV on this. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Uh, verse 9, make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Now, just as Joseph's life portrayed Jesus Christ to us in so many ways, we now come to one of the most magnificent portraits of Jesus in the entire Hebrew scriptures. Now, remember the Hebrew scriptures is also known as the um, Old Testament. 
We will spend the next 10 chapters dealing with how Jesus is portrayed in this tent in the wilderness. What tent? The tabernacle. The tabernacle is described from Exodus 25 to chapter 40, minus an important detour in chapters 32 through 34. In the New Testament, the tabernacle is primarily spoken of in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, the writer says this, The Aaronic priests serve as a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Now he goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 11 and 12, when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. My Lord, you gotta, you better know who Jesus is. You better know who Jesus is. John 5 verse 40 say, but you will not come to me that you may have life. My Lord, my Lord. Now, there's so much in scripture that's, that's given to us about the tabernacle, its, descri its description and construction than any other single topic except Jesus. Now, why? Because it is visual representation to God's people of Jesus, of heaven, and of his plan of salvation. Now, among many other things, he reveals to us that a mediator is needed for sinners to approach God. Yes, God shows us that atoning blood is necessary to justify the unjust. And God uses the tabernacle to reveal himself as both transcendent, separate above his people, and imminent dwelling in the midst of his people. No other God of man's imagination has both of those qualities. None. I don't care what idol God you are serving. None of them have these qualities. Now, let me say this. The tabernacle is a type, a visible illustration of that heavenly place in which God has his dwelling. In the second place, the tabernacle is a type of Jesus Christ, who is the meeting place between God and man. Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. Don't you let nobody deceive you about these false gods and idol gods out here, okay? And in the third place, the tabernacle is a type of Christ in the church. Yes, of the communion with Jesus of all believers. Now, the first uh, is found in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, and in Hebrews 9, 11 and 12. Um, but it is the second and third antitypes Christ as mediator between God and man and Christ among his people that shall be our focus. Okay. In John chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Literally, the Greek means, and I'm sorry, let me correct myself not now. John said, the apostle John says about Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, literally, the Greek reads, the word flesh became and tabernacled among us. That's what the actual Greek says before it was translated into the NIV. 
The NIV says the word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. And the actual Greek, which is where these scriptures come from, says the word flesh became and tabernacled among us. Now, no mere man designed the salvation that is ours in Christ. Man can't do it. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Now, man didn't produce the baby uh, Jesus born in Bethlehem either. In the same way, no mere man designed the tabernacle in the wilderness. The pattern was God's. He made it. Now, Jesus came to this earth in human flesh to dwell among his people and to have communion with us. Revelation chapter 21 verse 3 says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and, and be their God. Now, also the tabernacle, like Jesus, was a tent of meeting between God and man. Mm -hmm. The tabernacle was temporary though. That's what we need to remember. Later, the temple in Jerusalem would be more a uh, permanent dwelling place for God in Israel. The tabernacle pointed to Christ in his earthly priestly ministry, while the temple speak of Christ's eternal reign as king of kings over his church. My Lord, my Lord, hallelujah, hallelujah. So saints, I'm going to stop right there. I got to prepare to go to another service and speak about um, the Lord Jesus, uh, him being a healer and my healing. So if you don't know the Lord Jesus, saints, let me tell you something. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation because tomorrow is not promised to you. Um, Romans chapter 10 verses 9 through 11 verses 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You do not have, have to jump through hoops. And perform uh, all kinds of things and meet somebody uh, in a tent to be saved. All you have to do is uh, have the testimony of Jesus. And that testimony is confess with your mouth that he is Lord, meaning that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. That tells you that he is Lord. And um, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, meaning that when Christ ascended on high, he sat at the right hand of God. That right there tells you he is alive. That's all you have to do and you shall be saved and you are sealed unto the day of redemption, not until unto the day of redemption. And I am here to tell you, no man can take that salvation away from you and man cannot add to it. So saints, I hope you were blessed today. Trust me, more to come. You will be blessed as you continue to follow this series. So until next time, saints, peace out. you were enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this particular episode, please send your questions or comments to talkingbibletruth.cd at gmail.com or you can send me a direct message through my podcast by clicking on the message button located on the homepage of all my podcasts. Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and Radio Public to submit your remarks. I should note that you must be a follower of my show to submit a voice message. So don't forget to hit the follow button. You can also support my podcast financially by accessing the homepage on my podcast 
and clicking on the support this podcast button. Whatever you choose to donate will be greatly appreciated and used to help further the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am praying for God to give you a return on your donation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. That is the English Standard Version. God will give you a return on your gift of love. As long as you sow your seed in good ground with a cheerful heart. Now until next time, brothers and sisters, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by what we see. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. Rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. Continue to walk with Jesus, my saints. I thank you for tuning in, and I hope to see you next time.